The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It was this prayer that Jesus gave his disciples with the instruction that they should pray in this manner. Now, when he speaks in this prayer, in the Greek, do not lead us into temptation, the word in the Greek is parasmus, meaning to pierce with many sorrows, to to be tested, to be sifted like Satan sifted Peter, when he rejected Jesus. But deliver us from the evil one. He's not in the Greek speaking of the devil. He is here speaking about all of the accompanying trouble that comes with being sifted. The turmoil, 
the constant terror as we look at the impossible. He's saying, deliver us. He's saying, pray and ask me to deliver you. Do not allow Satan to put you in the parasmus. And then, interestingly, he goes to a parable, and these are all very much tied together. He said to them, Which of you have a friend? And go to him at midnight, and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I can't rise up and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as much as he needs. And now Jesus begins to speak directly about the Holy Spirit. This is really a whole long chapter about the Holy Spirit. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, I want you to listen carefully. I'm going to say things to you today that I have never heard preached but I know the Holy Spirit gave it to me. It's in the Word. This whole progressive passage of, okay, pray this way. Pray that the will of God will be done. Pray that the kingdom of God will come now in your life and on the earth as it does in heaven, that God's will will be done. Ask me for food for sustenance, ask me to forgive all of your sins, and you forgive your sins, and pray that you're not going to be put in the parasmus, but you will be delivered from the evil one, from the trouble and the tribulation and the trauma and the... Well, what's this all about? Well, it comes back to You need the Holy Spirit. You need the Spirit of God. And He is a Holy Spirit. 
Now he begins to speak in verse 14, continuing this subject. He was casting out a demon, and the demon had caused the man to be mute. That is, he couldn't speak. He also couldn't hear. And when the demon came out, he could both speak and hear. He was healed. He was well. And the multitude is marveling. But some of them are saying, He casts out demons by Beelzebub, a name of the devil. He is the ruler of the demons. Now, he begins in verse 17. He, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. Jesus has stated a basic principle that we need to understand. A house divided cannot stand. A house where one part of the house is accusing the other, blaming the other, judging the other, with harsh criticisms, with secret thoughts of wickedness, that house will not stand very long where there is not a coming together in love and kindness and oneness, that house will be divided. Jesus is saying that a house cannot stand. And you remember the man who built his house at the end of the Sermon on the Mount on the sand, and the storms came, and the house was utterly demolished. It was washed away. While the house that was built on solid rock, that house stood the storm and was not washed away by the flood. The house was divided. It was a beautifully built house. But it was on sand. It had no foundation under it. In a home, there has to be a foundation under a marriage. And that foundation says that men and women are equal, but there are different functions for a wife than there are for a husband. And there needs to be a great deal of kindness between them and understanding of what God is asking of them, or that house will not stand. It is a house divided. Now, don't mistake me. I'm not saying that the husband is the dictator. He's not. Everything is talked through and, and agreed upon. But a house can't stand where a wife and a husband are at each other's throat. Or where one of them is constantly in judgment of the other. Criticism, accusations. That house will fall. It cannot stand. Likewise, in a church, where a church is divided, it must come to some kind of agreement. It must come to some kind of conclusion regarding the direction of the church, 
and the mission of the church, or it will not stand. It will be destroyed. A house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, this is verse 18, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. See, when the kingdom of God comes, there is absolute unity of heart. There is one mind. What blocks unity of heart? What blocks one mind? With part of the, or all of the church, or all of the marriage, not being willing to submit to the mind of Jesus Christ. They are divided. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own place, his goods are in peace. This is Luke, the 11th chapter, verse 22. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted, and divides his spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. A wife who is not with her husband, if he is a godly man, will bring that marriage to an end. He who does not gather with Jesus but scatters will be scattered. Now, this brings us to a passage of Scripture that I've never heard preached on. You may have, and if you have, you've been blessed. But this opened for me a door of understanding that was so profound I want to share it with you. When an unclean spirit, this is Luke 11, verse 24. Remember, this whole passage is about the Spirit of God. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finding none, he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Now, I want to take you to another passage in another book of the Bible, to Matthew, Matthew, the 12th chapter. And I want to read to you what the Lord says. It's, it's almost identical. But let me read it for you. He again talks about division bringing ruin 
Every kingdom being divided against itself is brought to ruin, and every city or house having been divided against itself will not stand. And then we come to this interesting passage. Now when the unclean spirit may go out from the man, it goes through waterless places seeking a resting place and finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from where I came out. And having come, it finds it standing empty, having been swept and having been put in order. Then it goes and takes with itself seven different spirits more wicked than itself. And having entered, they dwell there, and the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. So will it be even with this wicked generation. So John the Baptist came sweeping clean the house of God's people. John the Baptist came preaching to prepare the way of Jesus. Let me read it for you. This is John, or Luke, the third chapter, verse 3. And he went all through the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for a removal or a forgiveness of sins. The word here is aphemy. We translate it in the King James Version as forgive, but in the Greek, the literal meaning is to remove. So John the Baptist came preaching a baptism of the removal of sin. Now he was saying to the multitudes coming out to be baptized, O offspring of snakes, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? In fact, you must produce fruit worthy of repentance, and you may not begin to say within yourselves, We have a father, Abraham. For I say to you, the God is able to raise up children to Abraham out of these stones. And so he taught the people that I am baptizing you with water. This is Luke, the third chapter, verse 16. I am baptizing you with water, but the one mightier than me is coming, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to untie, and he himself will baptize you with the Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, and with fire, whose winnowing shovel is in his hand, and he will thoroughly cleanse his threshing floor. He will gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn up with fire never to be put out. And so he came preaching and exhorting that they should repent. Now, let me tell you what happened with me. I had been praying about a very difficult financial matter for 
one of our listeners, and I was praying, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm also in a very painful, difficult financial situation. I'm asking the Lord to help me with a car and with the finances to cover the basic expenses. Plus, I'm asking him for the money to pay for the radio for this month. And the Lord stopped me. He said, don't ask me for help. I was shocked. I've always gone to the Lord and asked him for help. Please, Lord, help me. I don't have a way to do this. I I need you to come and help me, Jesus. And always through the many years of my life, he's always come and helped me. I've been able to pray for the money to come, and the money has come. I've been able to pray for people, and the Lord has answered. I was shocked. I didn't know what to think. I sat. I'd been awakened. It was 2.30 in the morning, and I was sitting in my prayer closet, I was waiting before the Lord. I needed answers. And he said, don't ask me for help. Well, what do I do with that? Lord, are you, have you left me? Have I so sinned that, that you won't help me anymore? How do I deal with this? And of course, I'd been studying this passage of Scripture. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finding none. He says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of the man is worse than the first. I'd been studying that passage of Scripture in preparation for today's broadcast, but last night, 2.30 in the morning, the Lord totally shifted and opened an understanding to me that has stunned me. I could barely sleep when I went back to bed. Finally, I guess it was... 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning and slept for another hour. Well, the fact is, this is where I've gone wrong in my life. My house was swept clean when I repented of all of my sin. I have repented of every known sin. If you were to ask me, Pastor, are you walking in anything that you know of that's wrong before the mighty God of heaven, I would say absolutely no. I have given I have given my heart over to Jesus. I've been washed and made clean. Now I also know that at the very center of my being 
I am utterly corrupt. Somewhere we have to come to that understanding. But this is not as the Lord would have it. When Jesus died on Calvary, his blood was sufficient to remove all known sin and all corruption from my soul. Intellectually, I know that. In practicality, I have not known that. So, let me talk about what happens. And I'm trying to be very careful because I want you to understand what I'm saying. If you catch it, it'll do to you what it's doing to me. As I sat here preparing for the radio broadcast, I had this strange inner sense of terror. It's still there. Let me tell you why. When we have, by the word of God, been swept clean, and Jesus said to his disciples, the word I've spoken to you has swept you clean. In other words, they were clean before God. And now Jesus was going to die on the cross, and all of their sins would be swept away, they would be forgiven, they would be washed in the blood, they would be absolutely clean before God. But how were they going to remain clean before God? Now, I have preached repentance of sin, and then some years ago I began to preach the holiness of God and righteousness. For the scripture says, without holiness no man will see the Lord. Holiness is an absolute necessity in our lives if we're going to see Jesus. But I'll tell you what has happened. I have had to battle with all of my energy and all of my strength to remain faithful to Jesus. I have struggled with temptation. I have made grave mistakes that have cost me money and time and energy, cost me many tears and heartbrokenness. It has caused me to lose people who are utterly precious to my heart who in anger turned away and said, I I don't want to be with you anymore, Pastor. It's too hard. Probably the, the one man I know ahead of everyone else is that he has utterly fought the fight against darkness 
It's cost him every amount of energy he has to remain in the prayer closet, to read the scriptures. He's been faithful in the reading of scriptures. He's been faithful in the prayer closet. God has answered his prayers, even as God has answered my prayers, time after time after time. But then you finally come to a place where the Lord will say, I won't help you anymore. And what does that mean? Well, I came to a place of understanding this morning that I don't need God to help me anymore. When I say I don't need God to help me, I mean if I'm in charge of my life, now be real honest with me because I'm going to be very forthright with you. If I am utterly honest and forthright with you, I have had my house swept clean, but I have not been filled with the Holy Spirit. He has helped me. He has answered my prayers time after time. But bottom line, it has still been my life. And I go and ask God to help me, to rescue me in my life. And he's saying, I can't do that anymore, Ray. I must give up my life. My life is over. I must relinquish all rights to my life to the Holy Spirit or he will not baptize me. Now I want to talk about this. I want you to get a sense. What are these seven demon spirits? And I'm not sure it's a literal number seven. I think it's probably the perfect number of demons that are necessary to attack you. Well, what are some of these demons that come? One of the most powerful demons that comes is condemnation. See, Ray, you say that you are a follower of Jesus and you are not walking in any known sin, but look at this and look at that and look here. Look at this character trait that's still in you. Oh, he's right. Oh, Lord, how do I, how do I walk this way? And my heart grows discouraged. Despair begins to fill my heart. I recognize how unholy I am before God. But Romans 8 says, There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
It does not say there is no condemnation for those who are not in Jesus. There is condemnation for those of us if we are not in, locative, positional, if we are not in Jesus. That's a big one, self-condemnation. Another demon that comes is the demon of discouragement. You might as well give up. It's hopeless. You're going to be on the street, a homeless person. I remember one millionaire woman. She and her husband were fabulously wealthy. And I was visiting them in their home. They were Jewish, and I was witnessing to them. They had a picture of Jesus hanging on their wall, and I was asking her about that. And she just burst out and said, Pastor, my greatest fear is that I'm going to end up a bag lady. Wow, where's that fear come from? Well, I had family in the Holocaust could happen again I'm terrified by it that was a a demon spirit tormenting her another demon that comes is a demon of accusation the devil is himself the accuser of the brethren before God And he will accuse you of every unclean, wicked thing and try to convince you that that's who you are. You may be standing somewhere and suddenly your mind is flooded with these lustful thoughts. And you say, where did that come from? That's not who I am. It's not what I want. It's not what I believe in. Oh, but that's who you are. You know you're a a wicked, lustful person. No, I'm not. My house is swept clean. But that demon of accusation wants to come in and set up housekeeping in your heart and your mind. I mean, what we're talking about here is your mind. That's what Jesus was referencing. He was talking about your mind. And these demons of lust, of bitterness, of accusation, where you find yourself always saying to your husband or your wife, I wish you'd grow up. How'd you get so dumb? I mean, there's such cruel things that can be said one to another. That's a demon. It's taken up residence in your heart. Separation is a demon. In the scriptures, it's about unity and doing what is necessary to have that unity. But the demon of separation wants to come and divide people. Not pray together, not weep together not counsel together, just separate, cut them off. 
That's a demon. One man said to me, I'm having a hard time with your preaching on repentance and and righteousness and holiness because I find that God is a hard man. I find I'm doing the very things I don't want to do. We're going to go to Romans 7 and 8 tomorrow. But in Romans 7, he outlines a Jewish believer who is under the law. Well, a Christian believer can also be under the law. And under the law, there is only the hard man to serve, Jesus. So what I want to say is that I have seen a man utterly given to Jesus, his house swept clean, he's overcome the drugs, he's overcome all the outright sins, he's overcome those. But then he spends years battling against demons that keep coming against him, sometimes successfully, stealing his money, destroying, breaking, causing havoc. These are demons. And they have free reign. Why? Because that person has not been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit comes, and we're going to deal with this all week. John the Baptist said, you've got to get your house clean. And then you have to have it filled with the Holy Spirit. These are both absolutely necessary. Why is it necessary to be filled with the Holy Spirit? For purity and for power. To deal with sin. To keep you clean and swept clean. And the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in that house. You want me to read that to you? All right. (laughs) I will read it to you. John, the 14th chapter. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may remain with you forever. That is, he may live in you. The Spirit of truth, whom the world is not able to receive or know him, but you know him because he remains with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. Now, keep listening. I have spoken these things to you while remaining with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, that one will teach you all things and will remind you all things that I've said to you. I leave peace with you. I give to you my peace. Not as the world gives do I give you. Your heart must not be troubled and you must not be afraid. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is going to come and take my place and he's going to fill you with his power and his purity, his presence, and he will dwell in you and there will be no room in your heart or in your life for demons to come and tear you and break you and trouble you. Now, what's the difference between a man who is a Christian, who's had his house swept clean, 
and a man who is filled with the Holy Spirit. The difference is the man who's had his house swept clean is a follower of Jesus, still possesses his own life. And demons move in constantly and they have to be cast out. So all of the energy is used trying to earn a living, trying to take care of business, trying to be righteous, trying to walk clean before God, trying not to fight with your wife or your husband, trying, 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 trying until you are exhausted with trying. But the man or woman who is filled with the Holy Spirit, there is peace and joy and love, kindness and mercy. That hard edge is gone. See, that hard edge can't be gone until the demons are utterly cast out. And you can be a wonderful Christian man or woman struggling valiantly not to allow these enemies to enter into your heart, but it will take hours in the prayer closet and in scripture and in fighting against the powers of darkness that want to come and overwhelm you because your house is not filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, instead of my needing God to come and help me, I need him to simply take over and make my life his life. The Lord Jesus is the responsible party, not me. My life is to belong to Jesus, lock, stock, and barrel. Every part of my life is to belong to Jesus. I am to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And now my energies, as directed by the Holy Spirit, will be able to walk in peace together, and victory will be on every hand as I follow his words to me and his directions to me. Now, I'm very grateful that he answers me. When I pray, he answers. He gave me two incredible answers last night. And then said, now don't ask me for any more help. Don't ask me. Because if I'm coming to the Lord and asking him for help, I'm asking him to help me do my work, to help me do my life, to help me survive, to help me with my business, to help me with my church, to help me with this and help me with that. No! I'm here for God's pleasure. He's not there as my servant. I'm here as his servant. I'm here to do his will. He's not there to do my will. Oh God, will you will you pick up my socks? Oh God, will you go do this for me? Will you go do that for me? Oh, will you give me money for this? Will you take care of that? He's not my servant. I'm his servant. So I'm not to ask him for help. I'm to ask him to totally take charge of my life and baptize me in the Holy Spirit 
so that by the Spirit he can move in power through my body. He needs a body to live in, to dwell in, to use for the work of the kingdom. If we look at John, the 15th chapter, I am the vine, the true one, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me not bearing fruit, he cuts off. And every branch bearing fruit, he always prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. See, if you're just following Jesus, but you still have your own life. You've not been baptized in the fullness of Pentecost power. So you don't have the purity and power of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit hasn't taken up residence in your life because when he comes in, you go out and you no longer live your life. He lives in you his life. And it's reflected in many different choices would the Holy Spirit go and watch a football game no would the Holy Spirit take time off to go to a a movie no the Holy Spirit wouldn't do that he's a Holy Spirit he's not a compromising spirit would the Holy Spirit go with me as I go to the club no many years ago when I was a child I asked daddy if we could go to the movies he said no I said daddy the other kids at school are going to the movies and they're talking about it it's supposed to be a very good movie why wouldn't you go to a movie with me daddy he said Raymond I can't go to the movies because Jesus would not go with me to the movies. It was stunning to me. And a time came in my life when I poo-pooed my dad and I started going to the movies. You know what? He was right. And today I won't go to a movie because Jesus wouldn't go. That's not how he spent his time. There was a great amphitheater in Jerusalem. Never in the scripture is there a recorded moment when Jesus said to the disciples, we've been working really hard, guys. Let's go take a night at the show over at the amphitheater tonight. He never did that. When we recognize that we have to move out of our life. Many of the favorite things that we have and do, he won't do with us. He won't go there with us. He won't say these things. He'll say other things. You see why I said there was terror in my heart? I know that Jesus will not save many of my favorite things that are not even sin. What do I do with that? (laughs) 
I was directed to go to dinner last night. It's a restaurant where the owner does not charge me. He gives me free meals. He says, Pastor, I just want you to come and relax and enjoy. You serve God. I want you to come and and my table is your table. But I always give a tip to the man who waits on me. And last night, I thought I had the money to give him his tip. But I didn't. So I had to apologize to him. And last night, as I was praying about this, the Lord said, after the radio, you go to that man's house and give him the tip from last night. What? Yes. Thank you, Jesus, I will. I told you he gave me some very clear directions. See, many of you who call yourselves Christians have never truly been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You may have been baptized in the happy spirit, in the modern music spirit, in the contemporary spirit of the American church, but you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit because he is holy and he is powerful and you will have much fruit if you are baptized in him. Well, we're going to continue this study tomorrow. I'm going to share with you a number of of different passages. But bottom line, in the 15th chapter, he says, you can do nothing without me. And that's pretty much what he's shown me with my life to this point. Oh, I have some fruit. I have people that have come to the Lord and been strengthened and been blessed, and I'm very grateful for that. But I don't have the fruit that I desire to have for the kingdom of God. I want to go to heaven and take a whole crowd with me. He said, you can't do anything if I'm not if I'm not abiding in you. And you're not abiding in me. And that is the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way Jesus is going to abide in you is by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is not some optional experience. If you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you are going to spend your life, if you are faithful to Jesus, in constant struggle with temptation And with every evil, the devil can manage to pull together to come against you, to cause you to despair in your heart of ever making it through this battle. Anger will enter your heart. Bitterness will enter your heart. And you will be, of all people, most miserable. Now, we're out of time for today's broadcast. Would you share this with a friend? Would you think and pray about it? And would you step forward if the Holy Spirit prompts you to give 
hilariously to help cover the cost of this broadcast for the month. Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. And a big shout-out thank you to Chris. He's the only one who reached out to me in the past week. So I'm looking forward to hearing from many of you this week at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Now, you can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. There you'll find the messages, or you can go to YouTube and just type in Pastor Ray Greenley or National Prayer Chapel, and you'll find our YouTube page. You can also give online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you, brothers and sisters. Thank you for listening today. I pray that it's been helpful to you and has opened some doors of understanding. I'm Ray Greenley. This has been Pilgrim's Progress. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. With great joy Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy with